Okay. Well, thank you so much. I would like to read to you from Mark's Gospel. I want to share something with you this morning that I think is really beautiful, and I pray that it'll be a real encouragement to you. So Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 21. I'm going to make just some references to the earlier part, and then we're going to focus on the latter part. The heading in my Bible is Jesus Drives Out an Evil Spirit. They went to Capernaum when the Sabbath came. Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently, and he came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That's why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out the demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet people still came to him from everywhere. And we do pray that God will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's take a moment just to pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us your precious word. And Lord, we just love it when you touch our hearts with it. And we pray that today might be just one of those wonderful days when 
the light would shine and we might grab hold of a truth that we never maybe thought of before. Please make it a blessing to us and stir our hearts so that they might respond in just pouring out praise and thankfulness because we're a people who have been accepted and our lives are hid with Christ in God. So send your spirit to us just now. We ask it as we say thank you in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, I hope the window behind me isn't too bright because I wouldn't want you to think that I had a halo or anything like that. Um, I can change it to the outer space background if, if you want, but if it's okay, we'll just go ahead. Mark's gospel is a wonderful gospel. I, I have to tell you that I think it's probably uh, been my favorite gospel for quite some time. It's the oldest of the gospels, and it provides us with the life and words of Jesus. Now, I believe that Mark was writing this gospel to the Gentile church in Rome, and the Gentile church in Rome was going through some pretty horrible persecution from the emperor Nero. And interestingly enough, there are more miracles in this, gospels, in this gospel than in any of the other gospels. Now, I think that Mark wants his reader readers to see how Christ speaks and then how Christ acts and how he makes a difference to the lives of people. So the gospel is all go. And Mark's a little bit like a journalist and he focuses on the scenes of action. And then when there's not a lot of action, he kind of skips out and he goes from one action scene to the other. Uh, and interestingly, Mark uses the Greek word for immediately 42 times in the gospel. Immediately. So Jesus is doing stuff immediately. He's responding to situations. The key verse of this whole gospel, which unlocks the gospel to us, is Mark 10, verse 45. Beautiful verse, worth learning off by heart. For the Son of Man also came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, the verses that we read together fall comfortably into three sections, and we're just going to skip through the first couple quite quickly. The first section has to do with Christ's authority, Christ's authority, and his authority is seen very beautifully in his preaching. Look at what it says. It says, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Well, the scribes were, for the most part, Pharisees. And they were, if you like, in bondage to quotation marks. They loved to quote the rabbis. They would say, Rabbi Hillel says this, but on the other hand, Rabbi Gamaliel says that, or maybe uh, Rabbi Eliezer's testimony says something different. It was all what we might call second-hand theology, and their teaching was, was kind of boring and legalistic. There was no spontaneity and joy about it, but when Jesus preached, it was exactly the opposite. 
His style was to say, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. You see, Jesus preached God's word. He didn't preach about God's word. He preached God's word. He explained the law and the prophets, and he was clear and simple as all good preachers of the word have been and are. He was uncomplicated, and he was very direct in his application. He wanted people to understand what the word said, and then he wanted them to understand what a difference it should make to their lives. And he taught them as one who had authority. So we see Christ's authority in his preaching. And I, I just wonder what it was like to hear Jesus taught them as one who had authority. And I don't know if you've ever imagined what it would be like to listen to Jesus preaching, but I'll tell you this, I don't think anybody went to sleep when Jesus was preaching. I think his preaching was gripping and, and it was just with authority. So not only was his authority revealed in his preaching, I think his authority was demonstrated by the power that he exercised. Verses 23, 24, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And from this encounter, we know that without doubt, that wherever the authority of Jesus is involved in preaching or teaching, there is a violent confrontation with evil spirits who possess men's souls and rule their lives. I don't know if you've ever been out walking in a wood and come across an old log or a stone and, and maybe have lifted it, and underneath there's absolutely no growth, but there's creepy crawlies. And what happens? when the, the light shines on the creepy crawlies, well, they, they scurry away. They, they don't like the light. Isn't that right? Well, when Jesus was exercising power and uh, the evil ones, the, the enemies, the foul creatures, uh, just scurry away when they're exposed to the light. Jesus exercised his power and authority by commanding them. Now look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus rebuked them, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. A number of things to say about that, but just one thought strikes me. Isn't it interesting that a man possessed by an evil spirit went to church? You see, I think the devil goes to church today. And wherever there is a church and there's a man in the pulpit who doesn't know Jesus and who isn't preaching truth, what's he representing? There's quite a serious thought there, isn't there? Well, Christ exercised his authority and re re revealed us in his preaching and through the exercise of his power. Well, that leads us on to think about Christ's heart. And uh, we see Christ's heart beautifully portrayed in this passage. We, we see it in the way in which he dealt with Peter's mother-in-law. Look at verses 29 and 30. It says, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew 
with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever, and immediately they told him of her. So Peter and Andrew not only brought their friends James and John uh, to their home, they also brought the Lord Jesus home with them. And that's a great example for us to follow. You see, I think sometimes the temptation is to come to church and to leave Jesus in the church instead of actually seeking to bring Jesus back to our homes. And if you think about it, he wants to get involved in absolutely every part of our lives. Well, when we bring him to our home, we can share our blessings with him and also our burdens. And that's what uh, they did because Simon's mother-in-law wasn't very well and they told Jesus. And how kind Jesus was uh, to speak to her. It says in verse 30, when he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her, left her and she served them. Now, I think it's really interesting that it just says, and he took her by the hand. You see, Jesus didn't need to do that. He, he could have stood uh, outside the room that she was in, and he could have spoken a word and waved his hand or whatever. He could have done that. He didn't have to take her hand, but it was gently reaching out, grabbing hold of her. It was a lovely, gentle expression of his love, a touch of grace. And you know, that's exactly what Jesus does for us, a touch of grace. We see the woman's heart response too, in that immediately she got up and began to wait on them. And you see, that's the telltale sign of somebody who has truly received the healing touch of Christ. It changes their lives. I heard a lovely story about a woman who came to faith under the ministry of C.H. Spurgeon. And she said to him, oh, Mr. Spurgeon, Christ has changed my life and he shall never hear the end of it. She was so excited about what Jesus has done, had done in her life that she kept talking to Jesus, thanking him for all that he had done. Well, it must have been a great meal for them, don't you think? Because this woman got up and she did her absolute best with what she had. And uh, it was also great because of the way in which she served. And most of all, it was great because she was excited. Don't you think she said, hey, look, come and feel my forehead because uh, I was burning up, but I'm well now. I've never felt better. The Lord be praised. And I think the shouts and the, the, the laughter could have been heard all around the, the streets around their home. And I think they continued all the way through the afternoon until the shadows began to, to, to lengthen. Surely the whole town heard about what was going on and came uh, to the door with all of their problems. It says in verse 33, 34, the whole city was gathered together about the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. How extraordinary. Well, surely uh, his heart is revealed in the lovely way in which he dealt 
with Peter's mother-in-law. But then we read on in the next bit that Jesus prayed. And in the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a holy place, and there he prayed. Well, what did Jesus pray? Well, to be sure, he didn't pray the way we pray, because often we structure our prayers. Maybe you use the little mnemonic acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Well, Jesus didn't do that because Jesus never had anything to confess. Oh, yes, he liked to adore his father, but he never had anything to confess. So what did he pray? Well, I think he prayed for himself because what lay before him was immensely difficult, more difficult than we can ever really understand. I think he also prayed for his disciples one by one. He didn't just pray, Lord, bless all the disciples. I think he went through them by name. Do you remember that occasion when he said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith might not fail. Before the devil ever made his move, Christ had already prayed for Peter. And then, as the context tells us, Jesus prayed for the sinners around him. He saw what was in Capernaum. He knew what he would encounter in the coming days, and so he prayed accordingly. Above all, there was the joy in the exchange between his heart and the Father's heart. And that brings us to the section I really want to focus on, and it has to do with Christ's touch. So we have his authority, his heart, and his touch. Now we know, don't we, that leprosy in the Bible is a symbol of sin. Leprosy is a symbol of sin. And this leper was no worse than any of his peers. Nevertheless, his life was, if you like, a visual aid of sin, a symbol of sin, a parable of sin. His leprosy was an outward visible sign of an innermost spiritual corruption. Now, somehow news of Jesus' power had spread around and maybe the leper overheard somebody talking about what Jesus could do. And maybe, just maybe, the leper began to think, well, possibly Jesus could heal me. So the leper went to Jesus and he cried out. And verse 40, a leper came to him, beseeching him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, if you read the account in Luke's gospel, it adds a little detail. It says that he was covered in leprosy. This poor man covered in leprosy. Now, what's important to notice is is simply this, that leprosy, which is better known today as Hansen's disease, people used to think it was a disease that rotted people's flesh. But actually, it's not not that at all. A man called um, Dr. Hansen, and uh, rather a man called Dr. Paul Brand, uh, worked out that actually the problem with leprosy is that it uh, shuts down the body's warning system of pain. 
uh, it acts as an anesthetic. And that means that if you drop something into a fire, you can reach into the fire and, and pick it up again. Uh, and your hand might get burned, but you wouldn't feel it. Or you can wash your face with boiling water and you wouldn't feel it, but your face would be damaged by it. Or, or you could grab hold of a, of a tool or, or, or something and grip it so tightly that, that you can damage your hand, but you wouldn't feel it. And so um, fingers fall off and ears are damaged and noses are destroyed and, and toes are, 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 are get damaged and they fall off too. And, and whenever, interesting enough, whenever in the third world countries when people were sleeping, sometimes the rats would come and chew on toes and, and, and the poor people wouldn't feel it. So whenever Dr. Brand operated on people in India, he used to send a cat home with them as normal post-operative procedure so that the cats would look after the rats. And Dr. Brand called it, this disease, a painless hell. And that's just exactly what it is. And this poor man in our story had not been able to feel for years. And his body was full of leprosy, mutilated from head to foot, stinking and absolutely repulsive. He was under no illusion about his miserable condition. There's a lot of teaching in the Old Testament about leprosy. Look at Leviticus chapter 13. It says, The leper who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall uncover his upper lip and cry, Unclean! unclean he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease he is unclean and he shall dwell alone in a habitation outside the camp now we can hardly imagine how awful his life was isolated from everybody except other lepers he would have known despair and depression imagine if you had this virus the, the COVID-19, and you were going up to Tesco or Asda's, and on the way in, you had to shout out, unclean, unclean. You could just imagine everybody scattering to get away from you. Well, it was like that for the leper. Only I think it was worse, because I think people wouldn't even have made eye contact with him. I, th I think they would have turned their eyes away and, and treated him as though he was absolutely dead. He would have been viewed as a dead person. And yet the truth is that we are all spiritual lepers. And unlike the leper that we read about here, we're often unaware of our sin, sinful condition. Now this leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And yet today, sin controls people with two lies. And the first lie is this, well, I'm not as bad as, and you think of somebody that you know, and if you're like me, you'll think of somebody who's not very good that you know, because you can, you can feel good about yourself. But actually, it's Christ's evaluation of our lives that really matters. Not us looking and comparing ourselves to other people. And then the second lie that sin would mislead us into believing that we are so bad that we are beyond help. But this leper knew that Christ could heal him 
but he didn't know if Christ would heal him. Now remember the key text of the gospel, for the Son of Man also came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we have the leper's cry, and then we have the Lord's answer. Jesus was filled with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, be clean. Here we see a gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching compassion. Now, why do I say that? Well, it's interesting. The authorized version uses different phraseology. It talks about the bowels of mercy. Well, that's a really odd expression, isn't it? Let me explain that to you. I don't know if you've ever had really bad news, perhaps news that you've, you're losing your job or, or, or somebody that, that you are, are, are close to has, has, has suddenly died. Where does it hit you first? It hits you in your stomach, doesn't it? And they used to believe that the stomach was the seat of the emotions. So if you got really bad news, it was like a kick in the stomach. So in other words, this compassion, this the bowels of mercy, that this was a really deep thing that was felt. And sin, this was, it was just, it was a gut-wrenching compassion that, that Jesus felt for this man. And what an extraordinary revelation here of the son's heart and the father's heart. Now take this to your heart and hold it there with all you have. The servant Savior has compassion for your leprosy, heart for heart, gut for gut. And he does more than understand. He felt the full weight of your sins on the cross. Take heart. There is someone who compassionately feels with you for the effects of sin in your life. Now, interestingly, there are at least eight occasions when Jesus reaches out and touches people in the gospel. Look at what it says. Jesus was filled with compassion and he reached out his hand and touched the man. This was the man who was covered with leprosy. Jesus didn't have to touch this man. He could have stood there and waved his hand or even just spoken a word. But Jesus reached out and touched this man. He touched him. Why? Because he loved him and he delighted to touch him. Now just think for a moment that since this man was covered with leprosy, we can reasonably assume that he'd not been touched by a soft or a healthy hand for years. If he had a wife, he'd not known her touch, much less embrace for all the years that he'd had leprosy. And if he had children, there'd be no kiss and no cuddles. Whatever his family status was, how he must have longed for a touch. Now, it's interesting, as we've been going through this lockdown, we've been told that we're to socially distance and not to touch. And in the newspaper on April the 20th, a journalist called Liz Hoggard wrote, it's hell not having any human touch, no hugs, no handshakes. And she says, it's been six weeks. 
Well, do you know, in this week past, I went to visit my middle son, David, and I, to, to his garden to visit him. It was his birthday, and his two little boys were there, our oldest grandson. And I arrived there, and I said to my son and his wife, do you know something? I'm not supposed to cuddle my grandkids, but I just, I just, I, I, I feel I'm, I've got to do this because I, I just miss them so much. And the two little boys, they saw Anne and I coming and they rushed over and they know they're supposed to socially distance, but they threw an arm around each of my legs and gave me a big hug. And while I didn't hug them back, I couldn't push them away. And we came, my wife and I came away, we were just so touched because we'd been able to have a physical contact with our grandsons. It was beautiful. Way back in 1982, I think it was, when I was a student at Bible College, I had the opportunity of going off for a couple of months to preach in Nigeria. And it was wonderful. When I was in Nigeria, I was sent to a church in a place called Bauchi, which is a city about 80 miles east of Jos. And the church was wonderful. It seated about a thousand people. And there was a lean-to that had another 250 or 350 or so. So it was a big congregation. And uh, there was only, I think, um, three or maybe four white faces in the church, one of which was mine. And I had a great time preaching there. In fact, after the first service, they came to me, this delegation of the elders. They said, don't preach for half an hour. I thought, oh, dear. I must have upset them. They said, no, preach for an hour, which was like music to a preacher's ear. It was great, preach for an hour. Well, the church had a compound. And one day I was in the compound and I'd seen this man moving around the compound on his hands and knees. He'd had leprosy and he had no feet. And the palms of his hands uh, were, were calloused and he had no fingers. He just had stumps and he was a Christian and, and somebody took me over to him and introduced me to him. And I looked down at this man, he had no feet, his knees were calloused and his hands were calloused, no fingers. And he, he reached out his, the stump of his hand to me. And I knew leprosy wasn't infectious, but I had to tell you, I had to steal myself and say, grab hold of his hand. And truthfully, I don't think I ever felt more like Jesus than in that moment when I did what Jesus did. Jesus touched the man's hand. He touched him. How extraordinary. I couldn't do anything less. This man expected it. He wanted to be touched. And what a wonderful thing that Jesus touched this man because he loved it, because he loved him. Isn't that a picture of what the Lord Jesus does for us? If leprosy is a symbol of sin, and it is, does not the Lord reach out and touch our lives in very personal ways to heal us from our sin? We have the leprous cure because Jesus touched him, and immediately it says the leprosy left him. And he was cleansed. His skin became like the skin of a little baby. The healing was sudden and complete. Can you imagine this man looking at his feet and if he'd missing toes, just to see he now had toes? And the, the knobs on his hands grew into fingers before his very eyes. 
and back came his hair, his eyebrows, his eyelashes. And if he'd a damaged ear, his ear came back. And if his nose had been part of it missing, it, it, it grew back. How extraordinary. His skin was soft and supple. And in those moments, maybe he began to jump up and down and shout out, I'm clean, I'm clean. Don't you think that when that leper was healed, the crowd joined in shouting in amazement? This, you know, is a very beautiful of what Jesus Christ can do for any one of us in an instant. Christ heals us in an instant, a split second of belief. In 1 John 1 verse 7, it says the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Let me say very gently to you this morning that if you realize that the leprosy of sin has infected your life, then there is no reason why you shouldn't immediately go to him because he has compassion upon you and he will reach out and touch you and take hold of you and cleanse you and you will be clean forever. And what I think is most amazing about this beautiful passage is that Jesus didn't stand from a distance and bring healing. He reached out and he touched this man. And in the same way, whoever we are, he reaches out and touches us. It's a wonderful thing to read that the Bible says that God has no favorites. And I'm wondering this morning, I don't know what's gone on in your life. I don't know if you've ever come to meet Jesus. I don't know if you feel that you don't need to. Though I suspect if you've plugged into church, you may have a regard for him. Whoever you are, just know this. That God has no favorites and Jesus looks at you this morning and loves you. And if you come to him and cry out, if you will, you can make me clean. That's exactly what he will do. And he won't do it from a distance. He'll draw alongside. He'll cleanse you. He'll pour his grace into your heart and life so that you too will be jumping up and down shouting out, I'm clean. I'm saved. My sin has been dealt with. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus didn't have to teach him. But eight times in the gospel that we read about Jesus touching. Perhaps this morning, he wants to touch our hearts, so I hope so. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this insight we get into the beauty of Jesus and of how he reaches out and touches our hearts and sets us free. How marvellous it is, O oh Lord, to know that in this world, which is so confusing, that we can turn to you, and in turning to you, that you pour your own life into our hearts, and you qualify us for the next life. And you've said, in my father's house there are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. 
and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you so that you might be with me forever. How wonderful it is to have that hope. Lord, we just want to pray that as we, some of your children, are bowed in your presence this morning, that we might feel the touch of your grace upon our lives, encouraging us and blessing us and making us an encouragement to others. And above everything, Father, may we bring joy to your heart. So please, Father, pour out your grace upon all the lovely folks and our friends in um, New Beginnings at Moody's Burn. We ask these things, Father, in the precious name of our Lord Jesus.